with Torah, it just, it was black and white. I only had to worry about what God wanted me to do and what man wanted me to do just didn't matter anymore. Welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew. I'm Jody O'Dell. On this program, we talk to people of faith, followers of the Messiah, who have come to believe the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, hasn't really become obsolete. In fact, the Greek word that's usually translated as obsolete doesn't even appear once in the book of Hebrews. So I wonder who decided to mess with that translation to give it that connotation. But I digress. The point is, people are reading the whole Bible and learning that God actually says over and over that He gave His instructions to His people for all time as a perpetual command through all the generations of those who choose to follow Him and His promised Messiah. There is not one single caveat in all of Scripture which states the Messiah will nullify even a single one of these instructions. In fact, Messiah himself said that we shouldn't even think he came to annul even the tiniest, least commandment as we see in Matthew chapter 5. And please understand that fulfill in this context doesn't mean to bring to an end. I mean, if you and your spouse fulfill your marriage vows, like to love, honor, and cherish in sickness and in health, it certainly doesn't mean your marriage has come to an end just because you fulfill those vows, does it? People all over the world are waking up to these truths that have been hidden in most mainstream Christian denominations for centuries. And personally, I think this is what the Bible calls the Great Revival. This is episode 32, an interview with Jill Garner from the Wild Oregon Coast. Jill's the mother of seven living children and recently found out she and her husband are expecting two more. We talk about her struggles with her parents and her early faith life, how culture shock led her to a safe haven where all her questions were finally answered. Then we go off topic for a bit as Jill shares her heart about a devastating loss and how abortion laws, which are already evil enough, have yet another horrifying consequence that few even realize is there. Welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew. I'm here tonight with Jill Garner of Oregon. How you doing, Jill? Doing pretty good. I'm glad to hear it. Can you introduce yourself? I'm a stay-at-home mom of seven. We homeschool. My husband is respectful of my faith, but not completely on board. So that keeps life interesting. We just found out that we are uh, expecting twins. They're due in October. So that'll be an interesting change for us. It'll be our first set of multiples. Wow. Congratulations. That's a, a great blessing, but also a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of turned my life upside down right now. Yeah, I bet. How long have you been married? I have been very gratefully married for 12 years. Awesome. So what's your faith background? I grew up Baptist, American Baptist, and there was a period of my childhood where we went to a non-denominational church only because there wasn't a Baptist church convenient. And then my junior year of high school, my parents ripped us out of the non-denominational church that we had basically grown up in and moved us to the new Baptist church that started up and forbid us from talking to or going back to the other church. Wow. And so that caused kind of a crisis in my faith. Um, because we went from a pretty laid back church that was very family focused and very community focused to a church that was extremely legalistic. The women had to wear skirts to church. Um, you had to keep your shoulders covered. Women were really treated differently. And as a junior in high school, that was, and I was also 
mostly grown up in the public school. So I had not experienced that at all in life. And so it was, it was very difficult, especially losing community in high school. Wow. Did they ever say why they wanted to move from that one church? For my dad, it was Baptist. He grew up in a Baptist denomination, which I find very odd because as a high schooler, my dad was actually kicked out of the Baptist church because he played saxophone. And one of his class requirements to pass his band class was to play at the school dance. And because he went to a school dance, he got kicked out of the church. Oh, my. And so I always found it so odd then that my dad drug us back into a very rigid church. For my mom, that's a more touchy subject. Um, (laughs) You you don't have to go into it if you don't want. (laughs) And so you were still a Baptist when you grew up and started having kids? In my first marriage, my husband was actually Assemblies of God. And I never quite got on track with that. I actually went to both churches at that point in time. We, We would go to an early service with one and a late service with the other church. Wow. And stuff to, well, it was kind of to pacify both sets of parents (laughs) (laughs) at that point in time. (laughs) Um, And then during that marriage, we moved um, from Oregon to Tucson, Arizona. And I went through culture shock because I grew up in rural Oregon and we literally moved dead center Tucson, the city. (laughs) And I was terrified of driving. I was terrified of leaving the house. And I just prayed about it and decided that I was going to go to the closest church I could find. And that just happened to be a Messianic Jewish congregation. Wow. They met on the Sabbath? Correct. So I had never heard of this. I had tons of questions of my faith. And every time I had questioned anything, I was always told I was rebellious. Yeah. One of the big ones I remember was the Festival of Lights in the New Testament that Jesus went to. What is that? You know, why is Christmas and Easter not in the Bible? From like early teen years, I really stressed out my pastor and my mother. (laughs) And um, so called and had a conversation with this pastor and he was so friendly and he actually like answered my questions and was really kind. And so I started attending and it was so, it was like I had lived in a dark room my whole life and somebody had turned on the lights and things just made sense. And I got to participate in Passover. The church met on Sabbath, but then they also did small groups during the week. And it was really the small group in the Bible study that we did in the the series of books that we worked through that was just eye-opening to me. And from there, there was just no turning back. I I just, there's no way you could go backwards. (laughs) No, there's no way to go back, is there? (laughs) No. No. Once you see, you can never unsee. So that was in Tucson? Correct. That was in 2002. My oldest was 16 months old. So my kids have been raised in it their whole lives. Wow. For most people, they have like one thing, like one thing that was the catalyst that just blew open their understanding. You know, did you have one thing or was it just, you know, like the the gentle series of things when you finally came around to it? I guess it was like finally getting that answer over Christmas and Easter. I never felt comfortable at Christmas and Easter. And and there was always, you know, Passover and these things talked about in the Bible and I never understood them. I never got them. And all of a sudden they made sense and it was okay to just follow what was in the Bible. Like life got so much simpler. I didn't have to have all these rules of men and whether, because I grew up 
like Easter was like white shoes, white gloves, white hats, fancy dresses. Like there was all these crazy rules and I never understood why we had to follow them because they weren't in the Bible. And it just, it was like this whole like outer layer getting sloughed off that I didn't have to carry anymore. I'm a very black and white thinker. And I always felt like following the rules of man and the traditions of man was very gray. It always depended on who you were talking to, which side of the family we were spending it with, which church we went to, because some holidays we spent at our own church, some holidays we drove and spent at my my mom's parents' church. Each place did things differently and you had to know how to act. And with Torah, it just, it was black and white. I only had to worry about what God wanted me to do and what man wanted me to do just didn't matter anymore. Yes. It was so freeing to let that go. And I've, I've just never, you know, out of respect for my parents, we have attended like Christmas dinner at their house and with family just so that we, they could have all their kids together kind of stuff. And we allow people to bless our children with Christmas gifts, but we don't celebrate it in our home. We've never had a Christmas tree in my, in our home. And, you know, it just seems so much simpler. Yeah. Well, you know, my friend Cherie, she always used to say, there's a list. She was so matter of fact, there's a list. If you don't know what to do, consult the list. If it's on the list, do it. (laughs) If it's not on the list, don't worry about it. (laughs) Exactly. It is that simple because the Torah defines sin for us. So you don't have to worry about all the other things. I think that's the greatest blessing that I have found with Torah is how much easier I have found parenting because I do have, you know, those questions. I find it gives me a lot of peace. And in finding out that we are expecting again and expecting twins, (laughs) we've caused quite the uproar and drama in both sides of our family. Oh, I bet. Neither set of parents are happy. They've never been happy with any of our pregnancies. Yes. Um, So, and it's so freeing. My husband did not grow up in the church. So them having a worldly perspective is already doesn't guilt me, but my parents use it almost like it's a sin. How dare I bring another child into the world? And it's so freeing because I can look back to the Bible and Torah and be like, no, children are a blessing. And he gave us these children. And it's my parents who are out of the line, not me. And I don't have to bear my parents' guilt and the guilt that they try to put on me. And I, I honestly don't know where their perspective comes from. They have been critical of every child we've had. I think that's a cultural thing. It depends on what church you go to. We went to a church when we lived in Seattle that was very much, very much about, you know, have your boy and your girl and then stop because we're supposed to be good stewards of the earth and we don't want to overpopulate it. Right. And then we went to another church that was also a Baptist church that was very much fill your quiver with arrows, have as many, let God decide how many children you have. It just depends on what church you go to, how entrenched they are in the culture. And the culture is very anti-life. And so, you know, when the church can't seem to extricate itself from the culture that it's supposed to not be a part of, that's where that comes from. That's where those attitudes seem to come from. Oh, well, the church says we shouldn't have that many kids. I'm not Mormon. I'm not Catholic. Those are the only ones that want you to have all the kids. Yeah, I, I've seen that in certain churches um, with my parents. It's, it's not that because they actually had a pastor that or an associate pastor that had, I forget how many, like eight kids and had very much the perspective that children were a blessing and they had no plans on prohibiting those blessings. And that was okay with my parents because he was an associate pastor and he was properly trained in the Christian church to raise up children properly. 
I'm not properly trained and I don't believe the right thing. So I shouldn't be having kids. And that that's very much, especially my mom, that's very much her perspective on a lot of things. I don't have a right to have a say over and question anything in the Bible or not question the in the Bible, but question what a pastor says by using a verse in the Bible um, because I'm not properly trained to do that, Um, which is funny because I've actually gone to Bible school. It's funny. I have, I also have a very difficult mother. She was difficult even before I came to Torah, but now especially so. She, I don't want to even start talking about her because I may not stop. (laughs) I have found the longer I have stayed strong and not let my parents or my mom bully me, the more she has started to come around. Well, that's good. A few years ago, my parents actually let us do Passover in their home with us because they wanted to know more. Wow. I have a brother that's 10 years younger and he was... He had moved out of state and they, both of my brothers were gone and they didn't have anybody for Easter and we offered to, to do Passover with them and they were open to it. Um, cool. They haven't been open to it again, but they were that one year. And I just, I just count those little things as blessings. Yes, that's wise. Got to count all the blessings that we can. So one of the things I like to ask and be specific, how has this walk in Torah changed your day-to-day life? For me, Torah came about right as I transitioned out of my first marriage. And so it became my safe space. And it was like God had prepared that moment of, you know, the lights turned on and I got all these answers and he just like refreshed my faith right before I went through some of the biggest trials in my life. And he just gave me that security that he was there. Then I met my husband and my husband was not religious in any way, but he was very respectful of my faith. I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but I just felt that God had placed him in my life for a reason. He literally opened his home to me and my two children with nothing asked of me. He just cared for and provided for us in a way I had never been before and He walked out love and compassion in a way I had not experienced in the church. My first child was born out of wedlock, and I actually spent uh, most of that pregnancy in a shepherding home. It was quite, quite dramatic. Wow. My dad was 100% set that I kept the baby. It was his flesh and blood. And my mom was 100% that I gave the baby up for adoption, and nobody knew about the baby. Wow, that, that sounds traumatic. It was, it was incredible. And then the father's family, they were basically telling me that they were going to take the child away from me legally, um, unless I married their son. Um, and so that's how my first marriage came around. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was very traumatic, um, going into that marriage and it was a very traumatic and violent marriage. And so all of a sudden I was just like this period of peace before the ending and the trauma that cause the ending of that marriage was very traumatic too. Because my family completely sided with my ex um, and pretty much walked away from me then too. Oh, I'm sorry. But I look back now and the strength I had was completely because I had just learned about Torah and I was still in that that honeymoon period with Torah yes. where you're just excited and you're just drawing everything in. The hunger and the thirst. And you can't learn enough. <laughs> yes. And that, that so consumed me that it, it just carried me through that period of life. Um, and it gave me so many answers to how much trial I had already been through. And then, like I said, when my, my husband came in the picture, there was just a sense of knowing. Like I knew that he was supposed to be 
there. And um, it took a few years, but we now keep a kosher home and he's not 100% on board with everything, but he allows the kids to be raised in my faith and he doesn't question it and he's extremely respectful of it. He more struggles with the fact that he grew up with Native American, both Cherokee and Nez Pierce in his background. Okay. Um, and he also grew up, his grandmother was Christian science. And oh. for him to swallow the idea that uh, people who don't believe exactly as we believe are going to hell is something that he just can't. Um, right. And But he's fine with walking the path that we are walking for our household, which I am grateful and blessed to have. And he participates. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he totally participates. And um, it's more when it comes down to certain nitty gritty details that he disagrees. Yeah, I can see that. What do you call yourself when someone asks you about your religion? I generally use the term Messianic Jew just because that was the term that I originated into the faith with. And it's also the term that I found most people are familiar with or can relate to in some way, especially with keeping a more kosher or clean home and keeping the Sabbath. They can at least link that to the Jew part and grasp onto it. Other than that, I use Torah observant. Okay. Do you get odd looks? When you say Torah observant? Um, I guess it depends on who you're talking to, but yes, sometimes. <laughs> That's what I hear the most is it depends on who I'm talking to. Yes. <laughs> okay. So resources, who are your favorite resources? Like the top three off the top of your head. Um, and I know it's not passion for truth anymore. It's just Jim Staley. Jim Staley. Yes. 119 Ministries. Um, mm. They are who I get to credit with my husband coming on board with keeping a clean home and being more on board. <sighs> Top three. There's so many. <laughs> it's okay. You can you can say more than three if if you need to or less. It's it's up to you. I, I do a ton of different teachings on YouTube and I'm gonna mispronounce it because I know he pronounces it differently. Ne- Nehemiah is it Gordon? Oh Nehemia. Nehemia. Nehemia Gordon. Yes. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. Michael Rood is someone that we watch quite often because my kids enjoy watching him and and my young ones seem to really be captivated by watching him. Shabbat Night Live. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I like watching that. It's, it's, the sun has gone down. It's the sixth day and it's Shabbat. I don't know. It just reminds me of Saturday Night Live back in the day when I used to watch that. (laughs) It's, I think it's really reinforcing to the kids though, when he's like so announcing and exciting and it makes it feel more normal to them when we're the only people that we know right now in this area yeah. that do it. Yeah. Let's them know they're not the only ones who keep the Sabbath. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's all the real questions that I have. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I just have to kind of continue on my path, not just when I um, started Torah, but like later on in the journey portion that's kind of been on my heart. In 2012, we... um had a stillbirth, 22-week stillbirth. It was just totally out of the blue. Literally just went to the doctor and didn't have a heartbeat. And that was so incredibly faith-shaking to me, which goes back to the whole, like my parents not wanting us to have kids and no family members wanting us to have more kids. And this would have been my fifth baby. And out of that sprung this really huge sense of guilt that I wasn't a good enough mom and that this was God judging me. It was just a really, really dark time for me. And my my husband wasn't on board with my faith. I mean, he was respectful of my faith, but it was my faith and he really didn't want anything to do with it. And he wasn't on board with raising our kids really in it. I mean, he 
we were a blended family, so he was okay with my two children being raised in it, but he wasn't quite sure about having his children in it. And out of that darkness, um, I was put on bed rest. I had complications with that baby's labor and had to have surgery and was put on bed rest for three months. As soon as we got cleared, we got pregnant again and we had complications with that pregnancy. But I was so aching for a baby. Um, the empty arms, leaving the hospital with empty arms was so traumatic for me. And out of what ended up being another eight months of bed rest came this refreshing of my faith. It, it, it made me stop. And I only had time in life for you know, the very basics, taking care of my kids, taking care of myself. And um, even homeschooling at that period kind of stopped for us. And we, I just focused on my faith, on teaching the, my kids my faith and um, literally nonstop teachings, playing in the house all day. And out of that just came this amazing refreshing and the blessing of my husband coming on board more. That's at what point um, I was blessed with the ability to keep a clean home. And um, my husband started to um, keep Sabbath with us as much as he possibly could with work. I just really, it was just really on my heart to share that, you know, our darkest times can really bring blessing in the long run. Now I've been blessed with several more children and <laughs> two little ones on the way. Abundantly um, blessed. Yes. Wow. Yes. But it was very much a period of Job where everything was just stripped away from us for a while. I'm thankful now for the trials that we've been through because it's like these big, huge foundation stones in our marriage and in my faith that I, I stand on now because God's carried us through these things. It, when other things come and shake us, I don't, I'm not blown over by things like I was prior. Yes, I understand. I understand very well. We had just moved to Eastern Colorado and I had had no complications with previous pregnancies. And I actually, within a very, very short period of time, met several women who had had um, what are termed late miscarriages, which is like 16 weeks, past 16 weeks. And I learned the awful truth that because of abortion laws, um, babies in some states aren't recognized until they're 22 weeks old. Wow. And both of these women, one lost her baby at 16 weeks and one lost her baby at 20 weeks. They had both stayed home, delivered the baby at home had both hemorrhaged because that's very, very common at that point in time and had to be transported by ambulance to the hospital and have blood transfusions. But both of them had made the choice to deliver those babies at home because they knew if they went to the hospital in Colorado, that baby would be thrown out as medical waste and they wouldn't even be able to treat it as a baby. Oh, And oh. I was unaware of that when I went and found out. And I fortunately had a very caring doctor, even though we found out that the baby had no heartbeat. She encouraged me to go home and just sit with that for a while. But then I spiked a fever. And so and then at that point, I had to go to the hospital and have the labor induced. And that was 22 weeks in one day. And because of that one day, I was able to deliver a baby and have it treated as a baby oh. and have my baby cremated and brought home to bury. But that's one of the like really sad sides of the abortion fight that I don't think many people talk about. Women are risking their lives to be able to hold their babies and say goodbye to their babies and have their babies treated as babies because the medical community doesn't always do that. That is heartbreaking. I, I speak very, very openly about that loss for that reason and for those women who were both mothers of multiple children. 
and they put their lives on the line so that their children could hold their sibling and say goodbye. You know, just fine warrior women, quite inspiring. And I, I feel like somebody needs to speak out for them. It should be able to go both ways. I mean, not that I agree with abortion in any way, shape, or form, but if we're going to have it, then women who want their children should be able to want their children and have them too safely. The abortion industry should not dictate how women who want their children are treated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Walk Like a Hebrew. Please like and share our Facebook page. Subscribe to Walk Like a Hebrew on your favorite podcast app or YouTube. Follow us on Instagram. Subscribe, follow, comment, and please, if you can, leave us a review. All these things will help get the word out about Walk Like a Hebrew. You can find links to the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on your podcast app or by visiting the link tree in our Instagram bio and on Facebook, or you can visit sheholdsforth.com. As always, many, many thanks to Jack Lane for the music. May Yehovah bless you. We'll catch you next time.